Well, good evening, everybody. So glad to see all these happy faces. Brother Becker still isn't feeling well, so if you would keep him in your prayers. But I'm so glad to see you and all those that are joining us online. And if we could just stand and if we could just praise the Lord for a few minutes and just give him our worship and concentration. Jesus, we thank you for your mercy and your grace, and we thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to come to gather together, O Lord. We thank you for the breath that you have given us, O God. We thank you for the gas in our cars and the opportunity, O God, to gather as one people, in one accord, in one spirit, O God. We thank you, O Lord, that you are the King of glory, that you are the Lord strong and mighty, that you are the Lord mighty in battle. Lord, I thank you, Lord, that we can know who you are, that we can know your name, O God, that all we need to do is speak the name of Jesus. If we need healing, we just need to speak that name. If we need peace, we just need to speak the name of Jesus. If we need, O God, a word from you, all we need to do is speak your name, O God. If we need miracles, we just need to speak the name of Jesus. We thank you that you are the Father that loves us, that you take care of us, that you watch over us, O God. We thank you that your mercies are renewed day by day, O God. And right now, O God, that you would touch our minds, O God. That the things of the earth, O God, they would grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace, O God. That you would touch our bodies, O God. That you would give us the rest that we need. That you would give our minds alertness that we need. That the lethargy and the would just be shaken off us, O God. And that we would be alert and aware of what the Lord is saying this day. In Jesus' name we pray. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you, Jesus. Amen, amen. You may be seated. So as I was thinking about this night when I was supposed to speak, I had nothing. And the closer it came, the more I had nothing. And I don't take this lightly, and it's not my message. It's what God has to say to us and what we need to hear. So I said, Lord, I got nothing, and I really need something. And so he said, well, the title is going to be Attraction or Distraction. And I said, okay, that sounds good. And as soon as he gave me that, he told me exactly where to go and what to say. So, Lord willing, you'll receive what he has to say tonight. We are going to go to the book of Judges. To the 13th chapter, we're going to start with verses 1 through 3. Pretty much we're going to read this whole chapter because it's familiar. But sometimes if you haven't read it, we need to get the lay of the land again. It's like when you, um, like when we move from Eau Claire and sometimes when we go back, things have changed. Or we see new buildings or new roads. And sometimes when you read a passage, and if you haven't visited it there for a while, there's something new that God brings to us. And I want the passage to be clear and the understanding to be clear. So we're going to start with um, verses 1 through 3. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren, and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman, and said unto her, Behold now, 
thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. So for 40 years the the Philistines were rulers over the Israelites because during this time period the uh, Israelites would serve the Lord and then they would turn away from him and start serving idols again. And in this time period, they have turned their faces from God, and they were not serving him. So what does he do? He brings the enemy in, and the enemy is the one that's going to rule over them until they get sick and tired of it, and they know that they need to turn their faces towards God again. So the angel of the Lord comes with a message to Manoah's wife. We don't know her name, but he comes to her, and he tells her, you're barren. Well, she knew that already, didn't she? She had no children. But he said, you're going to conceive and you're going to bear a son. And then we're going to go to verses 4 and 5. Therefore, now therefore be aware, I pray thee, and drink not wine, nor strong drink, eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come on his head, For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. He shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. So then he gives her direction. He tells her that he's going to be a Nazarite. He tells her what food she cannot eat. He tells her that this son is going to be born with a purpose, a kingdom purpose. So her husband's not there. So she goes and tells her husband, I got this message from the Lord. An angel came to me, and this is what he said to me. And I don't know if her husband didn't quite believe her, but um, he prayed to God, and he said, if this is from you, would you send that angel again? Because he wanted to hear the message himself. So we'll go to verse 8, and we're going to read 8 through 24. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, O my Lord, let the man of God which thou dost send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. And God hearkened to the voice of Manoah, and the angel of God came again unto the woman as she sat in the field. But Manoah, her husband, was not with her. And the woman made haste, ran, and showed her husband, and said unto him, Behold, the man hath appeared unto me that came unto me, the other day, and Manoah rose and went after his wife, and came to the man, and said unto him, Art thou the man that speaketh unto the woman? And he said, I am. And Manoah said, Now let thy words come to pass. How shall we order the child? How shall we do unto him? And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Of all that I have said unto the woman, let her beware. She may not eat of anything that cometh of the vine. Neither let her drink wine or strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing. All that I command her, let her observe. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee until we shall have made ready a kid for thee. And the angel of the Lord said unto Manoah, Though thou detain me, I will not eat of thy bread. And if thou wilt offer a burnt offering, thou must offer it unto the Lord. For Manoah knew not that he was an angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What is thy name, that when thy sayings come to pass we may do honor thee? And the angel of the Lord said unto him, Why askest thou 
thus after my name, seeing it is secret? So Manoah took a kid with meat offerings and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously, and Manoah and his wife looked on. For it came to pass that when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, the angel of the Lord ascended in in the flame of the altar, and Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. But the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and his wife than Manoah knew that he was the angel of the Lord. And Manoah said unto his wife, We shall surely die, because we have seen God. But his wife said unto him, If the Lord were pleased to kill us, he would not have received the burnt offering, a meat offering, at our hands, Neither would he have showed us all these things, nor would he have would he have showed us all these things, nor would he would as at this time have told us all such things. And the woman bare a son, called his name Samson, and her child grew, and the Lord blessed him. So this child was just not going to be an ordinary child. Already from the beginning, God had directed his mother and his father how they should raise them, what she could eat and could not eat, and that he had a purpose. He was going to begin to deliver the children of Israel, that was his destiny, out of the hands of the Philistines. So, birth stories. I love telling birth stories, and I love hearing birth stories. Now, I don't know about the guys. They probably don't care about that so much. But I always like to hear what happened, how the labor went, when the baby was born, how big was the baby, what's the baby's name, all those kinds of things. So when my children were younger, um, I homeschooled, and we had this big whiteboard. And every time it was their birthday, I'd write, happy birthday, and I'd write their name, and the day they were born, the time they were born, how much they weighed, and maybe talk a little bit about it because it was a special time because I always wanted to be a mother. And each delivery and each child and each pregnancy more or less was different. So how many times do you think Samson had heard his birth story? There were many details. The angel was very particular about what they were to do. I bet over and over they told Samson his birth story. And maybe he was curious and a child, and when he was little, would say, could you tell me that story again? Tell me about when the angel came. Tell me what the angel said. My destiny is to begin to deliver our people out of the enemy's hands, out of the Philistines' hands. I can imagine over and over they told Samson. So by the time that he was a grown man, he knew what his destiny was. So the attraction to him was the Philistines, because that is who he was supposed to deliver the Israelites out of their hands. He knew that this was his destiny. He knew that he had, he had a kingdom purpose. He had a purpose. And then in verse 25, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtol. So the Spirit of the Lord began to move on Samson. Maybe the Lord began to stir him, and he began to look in the enemy's camp. But when he began to look in the enemy's camp, he got distracted. Or so it looks like he got distracted. Because there was a woman in Timnah. She was a Philistine. 
and he pleased Samson, and he wanted to marry her. So he goes to his parents, and he tells them, I want to marry this Philistine woman. She pleases me. Of course, that didn't please his mom and dad. And in those days, they had to go make arrangements, and sometimes the arrangements were made way ahead of time. It wasn't they didn't marry out of love. A lot of times they married because it was good for both families. But Samson insisted. So his father and mother in Judges 3 and 4, this is what they say. Then his father and mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren, or among all the people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, because she pleases me well. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. So, of course, his mother and father were not happy with this. But Samson persuaded this. And they didn't know at first that this was part of God's plan because he wanted to cause an occasion. He wanted Samson to get going on his purpose in life. So they go down. They're going to make arrangements. And Samson, uh, sometime, and it doesn't really say when. It may have been when his parents were making arrangements and he was not with them. But he met a lion on the way in the vineyard. And he killed that lion. And he didn't tell anybody that. And then, when he comes by the lion again, he sees that there's honey in the lion's carcass. And so, he has some honey. He takes them back to his parents. But he didn't tell them where he got it. So, in the process of time, they go and make arrangements. And Samson then decides to go down and make a feast. And when he went, he didn't have any companions. In those days, they had companions. And the feast was like for seven days, this wedding feast. Why did Samson not have any companions? We really don't know. There is some speculation that perhaps um, his fellow countrymen were not pleased with him going to marry an uncircumcised Philistine woman. They were the enemies. So maybe nobody really wanted to go with him. They weren't in agreement with that marriage. Some speculate that that his wife, then they gave him 30 companions of the Philistines because he didn't come with any. And some speculate that maybe these 30 men were assigned um, as protectors to make sure that his wife's interests were taken care of, that she was treated fairly. Some speculate that uh, Samson already had a reputation for chaos, and these men were called in to provide security. We don't really know. But what we do know is that 30 men of the Philistines came in to be his companions. And so Samson thought, well, I'll just give them this riddle. Riddle me this. If you can tell me the answer. So he makes this agreement with the 30 men. He's like, I'm going to give you a riddle. You have these seven days to figure it out. If you figure it out, then I will give you 30 changes of clothes and sheets, which were like a 
covering that they used to lay down and sleep with. And if not, you're going to give me each something to wear in 30 sheets. So he'd end up with 30 changes of clothes and 30 sheets. And, oh, they thought that was a great plan. So he gives them the riddle. And he said unto them, Unto them, out of the carcass came forth meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness. Well, they went all week long, and they couldn't figure it out. So what did they do? They went to his wife, and they said, you need to find out what that riddle is. You need to get us the answer. And if you don't, we're going to burn you, and we're going to burn your father's house, you and your father. And uh, so she was fearful, which rightly so, not, really, not realizing that maybe Samson could have protected them. So she goes to Samson, and of course he's not going to give her the riddle. But what does she do? She nags, and she nags. Well, that's not working, so then what does she do? She cries, and she said, you don't really love me. If you love me, you tell me the truth. You tell me the riddle. And finally, she breaks him down, and she tells him the answer to the riddle. So on the seventh day, when Samson asked them what the answer to the riddle was, they told him the answer, and he says to them, He is so angry, he says, uh, in in Judges 14, 12, no, 14, and he said unto them, out of the eater came forth the meat, and out of the strong came forth sweetness, and they could not in three days expound the riddle. And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day, before the sun went down, what is sweeter than honey, what is stronger than a lion? And he said unto them, if ye had not plowed with my heifer, ye had not found out my riddle. So was that derogatory towards his wife? Well, I looked it up. And it was, it was a proverb. And it was associated with childish stubbornness, or it it showed how angry and bitter he was, how he he was bitter because he felt manipulated. And, of course, he had had a temper, so he got angry. So what did he do? He went and fought 30 Philistines. He killed them. He took their clothes. He took their sheets, and he gave them to the Philistines. And then he went away angry. He was very angry. So, as was custom in those days, because he didn't return, her father gave his wife to his companion. And uh, she must have agreed, because she went with him. Well, it says, after a while, so I don't know how long that was, that it took for Samson to cool down. The distraction was over. He was, again, attracted to his wife. He wanted to go. He wanted to consummate the marriage. He goes and he finds out that his wife was given to another man, and that makes him angry. But her father says, take her younger, my younger daughter. She's prettier. So what does Samson do? He goes and finds 300 foxes. 300 foxes. I don't know how long it took him, or did the Lord bring those foxes to him? 
I can't imagine because, you know, foxes are shy and they run away. But he found 300 foxes. And he's angry. So what does he do? He ties their tails together. He puts a firebrand between them. He lets them go. And he sets them in the fields of the Philistines. Their corn was destroyed. Their olive groves were destroyed. And their vineyards were destroyed. Because really, God was trying to get Samson's attention to help him realize that he was the deliverer. He was the man that was going to deliver him out of the enemy's camp. But he got distracted. But actually, this was God's plan. Well, after a while, after that, of course, the Philistines weren't happy. And he says, after that, it says that he smote them hip and thigh. It doesn't tell us how many people he smote hip and thigh, but he was satisfied after all that happened. But, of course, that didn't make the Philistines happy. So what do they do? They go to, the, to um, Judah and they say, you know, we, we are here to get Samson. And they, they're like, well, what do you want us to do? And they said, well, you go, you get Samson, you deliver him into our hands. And then they would be appeased. So the Israelites go to Samson, they tell him what they're going to do, and Samson said, okay, I'll let you do it. But do not, you will not attack me yourself. Nope, we won't. So he told them to tie him up with these new ropes, and, and they do. And then the Philistines come. And what does he do? He breaks the ropes, he takes the jawbone, he finds it on the ground, and he smotes 1,000 Philistines. And after that, he's tired and he's thirsty because he's doing what God had purposed for him to do. And then he's like, okay, God, I smote these Israelites, I, I mean these Philistines, and now I'm thirsty. Am I going to die here? Is this, is this the end? He gets a little distracted because he's tired and he's thirsty. But God... He creates a hollow in the jawbone, and he, he causes water to come out of there, and he quenches his thirst. So he was on the path to doing what God had created him for. He was on the kingdom path. Oh, boy. He's walking in victory. He's walking in his calling, but here comes a distraction. What is the distraction? He is looking towards Philistine. He's looking to the Philistines, but he's distracted by their woman. So he gets distracted by a harlot. He goes, they find out, the Philistines find out he's there. They like lock the gates and say, okay, we got him now. He's in the city. We'll capture him. We'll kill him. But he gets up at midnight. He takes the gates with the post and he leaves the city. Okay, the Philistines, he's distracted. Oh, here comes the attraction again. He's attracted, and this time it's a Philistine woman again. The attraction is what is causing his distraction. Yes, he has a purpose. He has a plan. He was born for this reason, to deliver the Philistines, but instead he gets distracted by their women. And he gets distracted 
by Delilah, that seducing spirit. And not only does he get distracted, but the other woman, it doesn't say he loved them. His first first wife, he was well pleased with her. But Delilah, the third distraction, he loves her. So he goes into her. But, oh, the Philistines have a plan. And Delilah, she did not love him. The lords of the Philistine came to Delilah and said unto her, Entice him, and see wherein his great strength lieth, and by what manner we may prevail against him, that we may bind him to afflict him, and we will give thee every one of us eleven thousand pieces of silver. The money attracted Delilah, and Delilah attracted Samson, and she she seduced him, not right away. Not right away. He was, he was willing to play this game. So she asked him how he got all his strength. And the first time he tells her, well, if you'll bind me with seven green ropes, then my strength will be gone. So, of course, she does. He must have fallen asleep, and she did. She said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And, of course, he broke the ropes. So this was kind of fun. So... She keeps asking him, Samson, where does your strength come from? Oh, well, you know what? If you would bind me with seven new ropes, with new ropes, oh, then I, my strength would be gone. So she said, okay, we'll do it. And they did it. She bound him with new ropes. She said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And, of course, he broke the ropes. Now, isn't this a fun game? This is kind of a distraction to Samson. It's kind of fun for him. He knows very well that if he's telling her, especially after these two times, she's going to do whatever he tells her that, so that his strength will be gone. He's teasing the Philistines. He's teasing her. But he's up for the challenge. So again, she asks him, where does your strength lie, Samson? He said, well, if you would weave my seven locks with the web, if you would weave them into the, into the weaver's thread and fasten it with a pin, all my strength will be gone. Now, this might have sounded better because she was weaving his hair into the fabric of the, of the thread of the weaver's beam. And she was pinning it there, and she thought, well, maybe she thought that would, that would really work. So she does, and he must have been asleep or pretending because she says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And again, he breaks away. So by this time, Delilah did not think it was a fun game. In fact, the Philistine lords didn't think it was a fun game either. And she said, just give me one more chance, one more chance. So this time, she weeps and she cries. And she says, you don't love me. And Samson is distracted because he does love her. And he gets distracted. He doesn't remember that this attraction is deadly. Does he think that her game is over? He is so distracted by the love that he has for her that he can't even think clearly because he knows every time, these last three times, she's asked him, 
he's told her something and she tests it? Or does he think maybe that God won't take away his strength? He knows that he is born for a purpose, that he has a kingdom purpose. So yet again, he tells her the truth, that he's a Nazarite and that a razor has not touched his head. And so she causes him to fall asleep on her lap. She brings somebody in to shave his head. Samson doesn't know what's going on. She says, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And what happens? His strength is gone. They capture him. They blind him. And they use him for amusement. And they used him to grind at the mill. But that's not the end of Samson's story. He did get distracted. The attractions were the women. The attractions were the Philistines to begin with because he had a purpose. God had a purpose and a plan for him to start delivering them out of the Israelites, out of the Philistines' hands. But because of the distractions, he had lost his strength. He had lost his purpose and he had lost his way. But as time went on, Samson's hair grew. And one time, one day, when his hair had grown, the Philistines were having a party. They were honoring their idols, their gods, and they brought Samson out to mock him and make fun of him. And this one last time, he asked the Lord to avenge him of his eyes. And he asked a young man to put his hands between two pillars They were the foundation of this place. And with all his might, God gave him the strength again. And in his death, Samson killed more Philistines than he did in his life. Distractions. They come so easily. Now we're going to go to John 11. And we're going to talk about how during Jesus' days, people got distracted. Now, Jesus did many great miracles. He fed 5,000 people. He fed 4,000 people. His fame had gone throughout all Israel. He had healed many sick. He had raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. On his way, he had healed that lady who had that affirmity for all those years, and she had spent all her money trying to find healing. He had raised that son during the funeral the only son of that woman. He had raised him from the dead. So the Pharisees were looking for a solution, some way to get rid of Jesus because he was the attraction now, not the Pharisees, not the Sadducees, not the men in their robes, not the ones that like to walk down the street and for people to call them teacher and rabbi. Jesus was becoming the new distraction. So in this chapter, it talks about Lazarus. Now it says that Jesus loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And at this time, Jesus was not in Bethany. He was with his disciples in another place. And word came to Jesus that Lazarus was dead or that Lazarus was sick. So Jesus said, okay, and he stayed longer because he knew what the plan was, and he wasn't going to be distracted from it. So he waited a couple of days, and finally he said, we're going to go, and he went. 
and everybody knows the story well. So they went, and uh, by this time Lazarus was dead. And when Martha had heard that Jesus had come, she went out to him, and she said, Oh, Lord, if you had been here, if you had only been here, Lazarus, my brother, he would still be alive. And Jesus was like, well, about the resurrection. And she said, oh, yeah, I know he'll be, I know he'll be resurrected, but if you had been here, he would be alive today. And then Martha goes and she gets Mary and the Jews. The Jews had come to mourn with Mary and Martha. And uh, when they saw Mary get up quietly and go, they thought she was going to the tomb and that she was going to go mourn. So they were going to go with her to mourn with her. And she said, oh, Jesus, if you had been here, my, my brother would have still been alive. She fell at his feet. And when Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled and said, where have you laid him? And they said unto him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, Behold, how he loved him. And some of them said, Could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning in himself, cometh to the grave. It was a cave, and a stone lay upon it. They were distracted because maybe they did hear the stories about him raising Jairus' daughter, or maybe they hadn't, or maybe they had forgotten, or the distraction was if he had been here. They didn't really see who Jesus was. If he had been here, Lazarus would not have died because he knew that everywhere Jesus went, he went healing the people. He knew that people would come to him wherever he was staying to be healed. So they go, and Jesus said, Take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, saith unto him, Lord, by this time he stinketh, for he hath been dead four days. And Jesus saith unto her, Said I not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe, thou shouldest see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that, I, that thou hast heard me. I know that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I say it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. So Lazarus did come forth, and he was in his grave clothes. And so they said, unwrap him. Jesus said, go unwrap him. So all the Jews had seen this. And what was their response? What was their response to this attraction, to him raising Lazarus from the dead? Some of them, they were amazed. They, 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 they wanted to follow Jesus. It was what they needed to, to hear to follow Jesus. But let's read verses... 45 through 48. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. 
this was the moment that they believed that Jesus was more than just a great prophet. Then gathered the chief priests, but some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. Then gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees a consul and said, What do we what do we? For this man doth many miracles, and if we let him thus alone, all men will believe on him, and the Romans shall come and take away both our place and our nation. I read this not so long ago. The distraction for the Pharisees, for the Jews that didn't want to believe who Jesus was, that he was a distraction to them. And they, the miracles that he did, were a distraction. Instead of drawing them to him, it was distracting them because they wanted to be the rulers. They wanted to be the ones that were the teachers and the rabbis. And they were afraid that if the Romans heard about all this, that they would think it was insurrection and they would come and they would take over the Jewish people. They would destroy their city. All of Jesus' miracles were a distraction to them. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about Peter. When they were at the last summer, at the last summer, at the last supper, um, they didn't. Jesus kept telling them. There was more than one time that Jesus told them that he was going to die. He would raise from the dead, and they were to go to Galilee and meet him. But it was like it didn't really, they weren't really understanding what he was saying, or they didn't remember it until after he had died and rose again, that these were the things that Jesus had spoke to them. So during the last summer, the last supper, it was a Passover, and they became very distracted. First of all, Jesus began to wash their feet. This distracted them because they all felt like he was their master. They, were, they, they felt like he was coming into his kingdom. It was getting closer and closer. The people had, when he entered into Jerusalem, the people had take, taken down the palm, palm uh, leaves and they had thrown him in the road and they were saying, Hosanna in the highest. And they, were, they wanted to bring him to be the king they didn't understand that he was the king of kings and the Lord of lords and that he would be the king someday, but that was not his time to be the king on this earth. But they were trying to make it happen, and he did come in on a donkey, and he, he did come in as a king would come in. So they were distracted at this last supper because here the king, they felt like the king, their Messiah, their teacher, he was washing their feet, and they couldn't understand why. But he was trying to teach them something like he always did. And finally, Peter, and I love Peter because he just, he just puts it all out there. He just, okay, if you're going to wash my feet, you just wash me from head to toe. He's kind of missing the picture there. And the Lord's like, you don't need this, you know. This is an example when I'm gone. Because, you know, they had been kind of talking among themselves who was going to be the greatest. And if you remember, James and John's mother came to Jesus and said, will you just promise me that one son can sit on your right hand and one on your left hand? 
you know. So they were kind of vying for the who was going to be in charge. Um, so then he says that one of them is going to betray him. And here's this distraction again. They're not getting what he's saying. So is it me? Is it me, Lord? They're asking, is it me? And finally he tells them whoever dips their uh, bread in the sop with me. And so Judas was the one, and he told Judas to go quickly. And they just thought Judas had some kind of errand to do because he had the money bag. So they were distracted. They didn't really get it. And that night when they went to Gethsemane, when he asked them to pray and watch with him, they were distracted. They were tired. If they had known that Calvary was coming, I'm sure they would have been with him. They would have been praying with him. But the Lord sent angels to minister and strengthen Jesus. He comes to them again and finds them sleeping and says, couldn't you watch with me? Again, they're distracted. They're distracted by their fatigue. They're, they're just thinking tomorrow's going to be another day. It's a Passover. We're going to go to the temple. They're distracted about the season, not understanding what time it really is. And so what happens? They come in the middle of the night. And Peter, again, he's got a sword. Oh, man, he already told Jesus that he would die for him. Even though Jesus said, three times you're going to deny me, Peter. So he draws that sword and he cuts off the ear of the servant. And boy, Jesus is like, no, Peter, you're distracted again. You're not getting this. This is not how my kingdom's going to be won. So he heals the servant's ear and Peter follows along. But he's afraid and he's distracted. He's distracted because they're judging Peter. They're judging Jesus, and he knows that the outcome is not going to be good. He's distracted, and of course, he's called on the carpet. He's like, a little maid comes and says, you're one of them. He's like, no, I'm not. And again, when he's warming himself by the fire, oh, somebody accuses him. I know, I, your speech, you're a Galilean. No, no, I don't know him. And of course, the third time, he swears up and down he doesn't know him, and he sees Jesus, and he looks him in the eye. And this time, he's not distracted because he knows that Jesus had spoke to him. But he is not offended. He goes and he repents. He repents for denying Jesus. And then the crucifixion happens, comes and goes. And then again, Peter gets distracted. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't remember all the things that Jesus had taught him. His disciples don't remember all the things that Jesus was going to rise the third day. He's distracted by everything that's happened, and he might be mulling it over in his mind. And then Judas had committed uh, suicide, and it's just, it just seems all upside down. And he doesn't know what to do. So what does he do? He goes fishing. Because he's distracted. He goes fishing. But the Lord knows that he's distracted and that he's gone fishing. So who meets him on the shore but the Lord to encourage him, to tell him that he's going to be feeding his sheep. And on the day of Pentecost, no longer is there distraction. Once the Holy Ghost is poured out, 
Peter is no longer distracted by the circumstances or the situations. He is not distracted by the people calling them drunk, but instead he's full of the Holy Ghost. And when the people are questioning him what this is, with holy boldness, he tells them what's going on. He tells them what they need to do. That's the kind of God we serve. In this day, in this age, we are coming in a season that there's going to be a lot of distractions. At the end of September is a Jewish calendar. This is the beginning. It's the beginning of the Jewish calendar, the Jewish year. You know, we should always look to the Jewish nation to see what's going on so that we know what time period we're in. It's a time of resetting. There are going to be distractions coming up. We know that we're coming in a season two where we're going to have a new presidential election. We know what it's been like in the past. I've already heard word that they're trying to bring bring back mandates. There's going to be a lot of distractions. But in this day, in this age, we need to remember that Jesus is the attraction. We've already gone through this. It was a dress rehearsal for what's coming up ahead. The Lord is trying to get our attention. We can't be lethargic. We can't be passive. We can't be listening to all the voices out there because there's so much fear. Not everything that's spoken is true, but it brings fear, brings control. What should the attraction be? The attraction has got to be the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The attraction has to be the cross. The attraction has to be the word of God. This has to be our attraction. The attraction has to be our prayer closet. The attraction has to be our prayer here, coming together while we still have the ability. The attraction has to be God because there are going to be many signs and miracles. It's going to attract people. But we have to keep our eyes on the cross. We have to be attracted to what God has said, the promises in this word. We have to be attracted to the prophecies that have gone before that we are going to have a great revival in this city. We have to be attracted to what God has told us, the promises that he has given us. And you need to speak those promises. It is so powerful. What we say is so powerful. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And they that love it are going to eat the fruit thereof. So whatever fruit you are speaking, you're going to eat it. You know, years ago, the Lord told me that my children will be saved. And I speak that out. I don't have to see that happening. I speak it out as if it's already happening. And a couple of weeks ago, I was at a seminar. And they had uh, the prayer director of that district was there. And the only reason I knew who she was was because... After the first service, they asked her to dismiss, and they introduced her. 
And every service before service, we had an, an hour of prayer. And so we were we, we, we would go and we would pray ahead of time. And um, like the third time we were there, uh, Melissa, I believe is her name, she came up to me and she said, can I pray with you? And I'm, I'm, I'm like, all for it. Go for it. Yes, absolutely. So we prayed together. And when we were done, she said, do you have unsaved children? And my answer always is, yes, but. And in unison, we said, they will be saved. God had spoke to her and told her that, and she had given me that word again. So the next day, I came to her and I said, Thank you so much for praying with me. And thank you for being obedient to the Lord and speaking that word. The Lord had already given me that promise, but it's been a while. And he was just encouraging me, letting me know that the word that he had given me was still true. If he gives you a word, speak it. Our children will be saved. Our grandchildren will be saved. We are taking the enemy's territory. He has deceived some people into believing that there is no hope. As long as that person has breath in their lungs, there is hope. And I will pray with you and I will believe with you because they are necessary for his kingdom. There's going to be a great, a great, great harvest. And we need all those that have gone back. All those that have backslidden, we need them. And God will bring them back because they are already trained. They already know the word of God. So as you go through your days, I want you to speak the truth. He is my healer. He is my deliverer. He is a God strong and mighty. He is strong and mighty in battle. He is a God that can change the minds and hearts of people. He is a God that can deliver No matter what it is, he can deliver them. I don't care how long the addiction's been. I don't care what it looks like on the outside. I don't look at the outside. We don't look at what we see. We only look at what God has said. He speaks as if it's already done. His promises, his word is yea and amen. I want to encourage you because troubling times may come. But there will be gas in my gas tank. There will be food on my table. There will be a way that we can gather. There will be. I'm telling you now, there will be. If you will listen to his voice, if you will be sensitive to his spirit, if you will run after him with all your might, if you will seek his face daily, he is the God that delivers. He delivered Israel. He will deliver us. He will keep us. He will watch over us. He will protect us. Just as he had a purpose for Samson, he had a kingdom purpose. He has a kingdom purpose for each one of us here. He will lead us to the people. They will be drawn to us because we have that peace, because we have that word. And in the end time, it will come quick and it will come fast. And we will be amazed. But God is a God that does not lie. All you need to do is speak his name. He will give you what you need in the moment that you need it. And that is the word that he wants to bring to you. Don't be distracted. 
No matter what comes, no matter what you see, don't be distracted. We can read the end of this book. We know that we will win. We know that God takes care of his people. He did it for the Israelites. He did it for the, for the disciples. He did it for the early church. He's going to do it for us. Greater things than these shall you do. The latter rain is going to be greater than the early rain. So I want to encourage you. He has given us promises. He will be with us every step of the way. If you would trust him, if you would take him by the hand. Can we just pray in closing? Jesus, I thank you for your mercy and your grace. I thank you that you will feed us according to the integrity of your heart. That you will lead us and take us by the hand every step of the way, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for every promise you've given us. And we're speaking those promises, O oh God. We thank you that you say it as if it's already done. And so we speak it as if it's already done, O oh Lord. We thank you, O oh Lord, that we can turn our eyes upon you, the King of glory. That we can look to you, O oh God, in every situation and every circumstance, O oh God. We thank you that you are the lover of our souls that you are a good Father, that you love us, O God, with an everlasting love. We thank you that your word will not fail, O God. The grass, the, grass, the grass will wither and the flower will fade, but the word of our God shall stand forever. We love you, we praise you, we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise. We thank you, Lord. We give you the praise, O God. There's none like you in all the earth, O God, none like you. We thank you, O Lord, that we can be attracted to you, that you are the attraction, O God, and that you will bring others to you. We thank you, O God, for great is thy faithfulness. You never fail us, O Lord. You are always with us, O God, even unto the end of the earth. I thank you and I praise you. We give you the glory and the honor and the praise. We magnify thy name in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Thank you for your kind attention. We'll gather together, Lord willing, on Sunday, 9 o'clock prayer. Oh. Well, Tammy got her report back. She does not have cancer. She does not have to have radiation or any kind of treatment because God is good. And didn't you speak that word to her? Sonia spoke that word to her. She said it was going to be all right when she prayed with her. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Amen. Amen. So we praise and we rejoice. Thank you, Jesus. Sunday service, 9 prayer, come. 9.30 service.